Well, hello everybody and welcome to the July 21 Mark Leverage podcast. Time for us to sit down together again and have a chat about all things magical. And I'm going to start this month by um, reflecting on the comments made in the latest issue of Magic Scene on the letters page. One of the readers wrote in with quite a, a disparaging view of Zoom and its uses as a, sort of a medium for magicians to entertain. He was very, very critical of the quality of it, the bad picture quality. He said lots of technical problems, the, the picture freezing uh, because of bandwidth issues and so on and so forth. And his criticism was in many ways justified, but I thought a little bit possibly over the top. Um, because his conclusion was that uh, in years to come, we'll look back at this time and we'll say, well, goodness me, how on earth did we ever get away with it doing things on Zoom? Well, it may be that we will, but I I'm not altogether sure that Zoom is going away any time soon. Obviously, well, I say obviously, I think it's obvious that a live show is nine times out of ten going to be preferable to a virtual show. If you can get in front of people and entertain them face to face, obviously, yes, it's going to be better. But um, that accepted, Zoom does have, in many cases anyway, something to offer. I think particularly, maybe not so much with shows, but certainly for lectures. I've done a number of Zoom lectures and I feel that the format works very well, particularly when, in my case, I've been doing lectures for clubs that are overseas you know the, the the time and cost implications and savings for not having to travel in order to go face to face to present a lecture is, is clearly attractive not only to me as the lecturer at times but also to the clubs themselves who can have the benefits of having magicians from all around the world in their club room or in their homes doing an interactive lecture for them but without the costs that normally they would have to uh, fund to get the person actually to turn up in the club room. So I suspect that, of course, live events in the club room in, as they open up and as they get back to normal will continue. But I think Zoom will well run alongside. And in fact, this month I'm doing um, a lecture for one of the rings, the IBM rings in America. And they are doing a hybrid event where some of the members will turn up in the club room and will watch my lecture from there and others will be joining from home. So I can see that being a popular option, particularly if the weather is bad or somebody is not feeling particularly well. They would like to attend the lecture, but they, they can't, if, perhaps if they're a bit elderly, or as I say, they haven't been too good recently, they can still enjoy and get benefits from their membership of the Magic Club by turning up virtually from home to the lecture, as long as the club is prepared to make this hybrid event possible. So I think to say that it's all hopeless and is useless is, I think, overstating the case. And I certainly, for one, hope that it does continue in one form or another. As I say, I'm not suggesting that we should try and replace all live events. I mean, nobody will. No, live events will obviously go, are always going to trumpet where it's possible. But since there are opportunities to offer both a live event or a Zoom event for entertainers and for lecturers, I think a lot of them will offer that option, the Zoom option. 
and it will be attractive to certain people either for logistical reasons or for financial reasons. So let's not just make it, I mean he was talking a lot about the technical issues, yes there are some or there can be some technical issues but actually my experience has been generally speaking it's pretty good and considering what you're trying to do the quality um, unless you have a very poor broadband connection the quality is actually very acceptable and certainly preferable to having absolutely nothing at all. Now it's probably true to say that as magicians we're rather intrigued and interested in methodology and in slights and moves. I think particularly close-up magicians. There are so many amazing slights and moves to learn and a lot of tricks incorporate some amazing things that in themselves when you know the method you think oh that is just absolutely brilliant how amazing is that the trouble is though that i think sometimes we get so wrapped up in the methodology that we start to forget that from the audience's point of view some of the things that we're doing some of the handlings that we're going through don't make any sense at all I mean, a simple example would be a magician takes a pack of cards face down in his hand. He pushes four cards off to the right and flips them face up. And he says, here are the four aces. He lifts the four aces off and one at a time he thumbs them back onto the pack saying, here's the ace of clubs, the ace of hearts, the ace of spades and the ace of diamonds. And as he, as he tells the audience this stunning piece of information he's flipping each of the four aces face down back onto the pack where he's just taken them from he then pushes the four face down cards off again and places them onto the table and the audience are supposed to believe that those are the four aces now if you think about that yes it's a switch and you need to do it in that way if you want to perform that particular move but if you look at it from the audience's point of view they're probably thinking what's he doing? I mean if you wanted to show the four aces you'd just take them and chuck them on the, on the table wouldn't you? You wouldn't go all through all this rigmarole of one at a time counting them and flipping them face down back onto the top of the pack only to immediately take them off. So I, I often think that we can actually tidy up magic that we do quite well by looking at some of these moves and thinking is there a more natural way or a presentation that will make an explanation for why we're handling it in this slightly awkward way that will stop it being so awful. I mean, an example would be um, one of the favourite ways to get a card selected is where you riffle down the, 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 with your thumb, you hold the pack in one hand, you riffle your thumb down the top corner and you say to the spectator, say stop. And when he says stop, you cut the pack at the point where he says stop and he takes a card or you show him the card. Now, it, that's a kind of a, it's a very magic magician's way of doing things. It's a magic orientated way of choosing a card. But if you, the real way of choosing a card will be to either hand the spectator a pack of cards and say, take one out, or spread them and say, do you want to just take a card? Actually riffling down with your thumb in this very controlled manner kind of looks a bit suspicious, unless you make a reason for why you're doing it. Now, I mentioned in the, the first item on this podcast about Zoom shows. Well, when you are on the other side of a screen, somebody can't actually take a card. So all of a sudden, the, the concept of you riffling down the, the edge of a deck and say, could you just say stop? Well, they can do that because you can hear them and they can interact with you. 
and then you're cutting the pack and then you're showing them the card, suddenly that makes total sense. Similarly, if you were standing at a distance, say you're doing a parlour show and you're standing a few feet from the front row, rather than walking down with a pack of cards and spreading the cards and saying to somebody, take a card, so that half the audience can't actually see because the, the heads block the view of what's happening, to stand further back so everybody can see and riffle down the deck and say, say, stop, please remember that card, suddenly it all makes sense. Because there's a reason why you're handling it. You don't even have to explain what the reason is. It should be reasonably obvious that, well, I, you can't take a card because you're on the other side of a screen, so we're going to have to choose one in this way. Now, under those circumstances, I would say that type of handling is perfectly acceptable. But if you're standing very, very close to somebody and you riffle down, then it doesn't make any sense, does it? You just say, well, just take a card. So I think a lot of magic can be improved um, quite dramatically by looking at these small details and thinking, is that the most natural way of doing what the audience thinks I'm doing? Or is this just me being a, a move monkey uh, and I'm doing it only this way because I need to do it for the particular move that I'm using here? And actually, it doesn't really make any sense. And I think if you, if you know enough moves and you know enough handlings and you think about it enough, I'm sure it'd be possible to tidy up quite a lot of tricks and not make them look so fishy. One of the most popular sections of uh, eClub Pro, my online magic club, is called the Advice Centre. And in the Advice Centre there are currently over 250 questions that um, members over the years have asked me and which I've given 200 word replies to. And it's amazing the diversity of questions. Some are quite complex things and others are very, very simple. But these people obviously wanted a quick answer to something that they'd wondered about. And I do my best to, to give them the benefit of my opinion. And one of the questions that I had relatively recently was when somebody asked me whether you should change the tricks that you do according to the type of audience that you're entertaining. And I remember thinking at the time, my initial reaction to that was, well, no, I don't. I, you know, I've got my tricks and they're the same tricks wherever I go out to entertain with strolling magic. Then I'm carrying the same tricks on me. But after I sort of considered it for a bit longer, I realised that actually I do change things according to the audience a bit. And but in not so much by occasionally by not doing one trick but doing another, but more by the way that the tricks that I normally would do, the way I present them. I mean, for instance, if you are entertaining at a dinner for a medical conference and all of the people in the audience are doctors, then you could be fairly sure that the, that the, uh, the average IQ in the audience, amongst the audience members, is going to be pretty high. So you don't want to do something super simplistic. You, you know that you can get involved in perhaps slightly more cerebral magic, you, mental stuff that you wouldn't perhaps normally think you could get away with. You might be able to do because of the type of audience. With another set of people, you might think that wouldn't be appropriate. So you might choose items in that way. But it's not just that, really. It's, it's other things, too. For instance, if it's a very noisy environment, then there are certain tricks which are a bit more wordy, which I will either cut out a lot of the patter 
or I will do entirely silently if necessary. It's the same trick, it's just that the way I'm presenting it is adapting to the circumstances that I'm required to perform under. And, and sometimes it's, it's extraordinary what a difference this can make. If you just do the, the trick in the exactly the same way that you always do it, there are situations where it will die a death simply because you, you hadn't really anticipated that for this particular moment and with this audience, it's just simply not going to work. And so trying to be sensitive to your environment and, and how well your tricks play in certain circumstances, I think is very important. So the answer is, do you adapt the tricks to, to according to yours? Well, to a certain extent, um, yes, I suppose I do. For instance, if I'm doing a dinner where I've got to do lots of tables, I will, I will almost instinctively go for quick tricks because I know that I'm not going to have very long at any individual table. So there's no point in me launching into a trick lasting five minutes because I, the, a meal could arrive at any moment. Uh, I could be required to move on. New people might join a group in an informal setting and break everything up. So to do an, two or three quick tricks would be my instinctive selection. Again, I'm adapting to the circumstances almost without thinking about it. Whereas at a private party, where it's in somebody's house or in somebody's garden, where it's a lot more relaxed, you've got more time, there are less people, there are less distractions, people are wanting to see more because they're more into it all and more they're less distracted, then I can do longer tricks, slightly more involved tricks, tricks that have a lot more patter involved in them and although I wouldn't necessarily not do certain tricks in all circumstances I mean there are some tricks I could do everywhere that there are others that I, I would say well I'm only going to do that one under the right circumstance but most of the tricks I can do almost anywhere but I do change them and make selections and choices dependent on as I say quite a few of these factors so it was quite an interesting question that because it was something that I I hadn't realised in a way that I was doing and his question to me made me think about it and think, well, actually, yes, I do a bit. And that's one of the things that I do love about the advice centre, that people throw up all sorts of issues and, and it does and it stop, you stops and makes you think, well, yes, actually, that, that's a good point. What do you do in those circumstances? And I think, I hope that the, the answers that I give enable other people also when they read them to um, get the old uh, grey matter going and consider things that they wouldn't otherwise have thought about. So in the UK, the restrictions that have been imposed because of COVID are gradually being relaxed, uh, perhaps not as quickly as we'd hoped, um, but nevertheless, things are very gradually returning to some sort of normality. And the normality for us entertainers, of course, is that show inquiries are just beginning to filter through again. I imagined uh, when I thought about it in advance of all this that there would be quite a pent-up demand and that there will be a, a, a sudden flood of inquiries. In fact, uh, my personal experience has been that that isn't entirely true because although the restrictions are being eased, there are still some in place and because of the on-off nature of of the restrictions over the last, certainly the last this year and in, certainly at the end of last year as well, where one minute we were told, well, it's going to be OK, we're going to be able to take the shackles off. And then the next minute, oh, no, sorry, we've got to put it back on again. We're back into lockdown. So 
I think the general public are a little bit nervous about committing to events, certainly big events, because they're frightened that they'll make all the arrangements and make all the bookings and then the, the Prime Minister will turn around and say, well, no, sorry, we've got to reverse it all again because the number of infections is rising again. So the floodgates have not yet opened. But one thing that I, that I did wonder about was whether the, the fee structures that we were all quite happily charging before all this started a couple of years ago, whether those fees are still going to be appropriate. Now, given that people, a lot of people have struggled financially um, because of furlough or just losing their jobs altogether, they might want to have a party. They might want to celebrate that, that particular anniversary. They, they might want to finally have that wedding. But the amount of money that they uh, are either prepared or have available to commit to it may be less. And so while they want it on the one hand, not at any cost. And I am wondering whether with so many magicians out there looking for work, it's going to be a race to the bottom in terms of fees. Because people are going to say, well, I'd rather get a small fee and get, you know, get some work than, than not do anything at all. And the, the, uh, the bookers themselves may be thinking, I'm going to go for the, the best value entertainer that I can find because I don't have, want to risk lots of money on something like this at this stage. So I think we, we, we could be in a situation where there's a, quite a bit of attempted negotiation goes on with bookers saying, was that your best price? I hate that when they say that. Is that your best price? No, actually, it's my worst price. I'm charging the highest price I can possibly get away with. Um, I hate it when they ask that, but uh, makes you feel like you've got to start bartering and I really don't want to barter over my show fee. But where those levels are going to be and exactly what those, the, the range where it starts and perhaps where it finishes, I, I'm not really so sure anymore because it is a certain, there's a certain amount of truth in the fact that yes, you, you have a value and you know what you need to get in order to work. But given the circumstances and the way that things have been and the relatively slow uptake of bookings in the first place, it may be that it's a buyer's market and that we as sellers, sellers of our services and our magic skills, will have to, if only temporarily, maybe either do a lot less work if we want to have the fees as we used to have them, or we're going to have to bring our fees down and then perhaps over the next two or three years, gradually push them back up if everything goes according to plan and we go back to some sort of normal service as usual. Um, I don't know what the answer is really. I, I know that um, the inquiries that I've had, I've only had a very small number of actual bookings and the number of inquiries, although they haven't been vast, there have been quite a few but not a lot of take up, certainly not as much as I would have expected pre-pandemic. And this could be reflected in the, the reasons that I've just said. Um, and it could be that, or it could be that the types of bookings that we want aren't really coming on stream at the moment. Weddings in particular are tending to be much smaller. People are having literally six people to a wedding where they don't need any entertainment. Um, they were going to have 100 people, but now they'd rather just get on with the wedding and, and go with the restrictions as they are. And although they can have more than that, they've decided that they, they either can't afford it or they don't want to. 
So we will see. Let's hope that eventually it gets back to some sort of sensible levels so that we're properly paid for what we do. Back in April this year, I created a brand new department, if you like, for my online shop on my website. And I called it eClub Pro Select. And the idea was that I realised that on eClub Pro, the members have access to literally hundreds of routines of all different types. And the video of those is um, available to them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they can dip in and they can watch routines and learn them whenever they want. And I thought it might be interesting to select um, a number of those and make them available for general sale this, the down, as downloadable videos at a very reasonable price so that people who are not members and who don't want to be part of a club can get the benefit of some of the routines that I've put on there. eClub Pro Select starts with or started with 10 items and the idea is that every month I remove two of those tricks and I no longer have them for sale and I replace them with two other ones from eClub Pro. This means that there's a, a, a rolling selection, if you like. So if you go back each month, there'll always be at least two new things that you won't have seen. And um, it's proved to be very successful, I think. And, and the, the variety of magic I'm very pleased with. And the, the, the course, because the routines are all video, there's no real specialized props required. You can either very simple things to make or things that you would already have or just using ordinary items, cards, coins, that type of thing. So it's, the magic is very practical. And there's magic that's suitable for, for walkabout, for close-up, stand-up mentalism. Uh, most of the, of the magic genre are, are represented there. And I say every, every month I change, take out, take out two and replace them with two more. So if you haven't gone and had a look at that particular section of my shop, do, do have a look because I think you might be surprised. Each, each routine just costs £7, so it's very reasonably priced. And you receive a downloadable video that gives you all the details that you need. And go back there every month because, I say, every month there'll be two new ones for you to have a look at. So that's then eClub Pro Select. One of the things that I really enjoy doing in my leisure time is, is to, uh, to watch films. And I have quite a, a wide range of tastes when it comes to the type of material that I like to watch in films. And one of the fun things that I rather enjoy doing is, is to try and guess when I'm watching a film when it was made. And the, for contemporary films, so in other words, not period pieces or something like that where you can't tell, but things that are, are set in contemporary times, I try to work out, is this, was this made in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the noughties? You know, when, when was it made? And of course, the way that you, you try and work it out, there are certain clues, aren't there? For instance, hair, particularly for women, but men as well. You know, what's, what were the hairstyles? Think, oh, gosh, that is so 70s. Fashion, of course, clothing. I can remember when I, when I was a young man, big lapels were in. Very in the seventies, big lapels and flared trousers and all this sort of thing, and you weren't anybody unless you had that. You were wearing something like that, so you can sometimes look at the the fashion and the things that people are wearing that were supposed to be modern at the time that the film was made, and you can try and guess from that. Another thing, of course, and this is often a giveaway, is 
mobile phones or just phones in general. Phones play a huge part in films. And you, if you, there's virtually not a film that's made now where the mobile phone isn't uh, used as a major part of the plot just about all the time. And um, of course, phones have gone through all sorts of different things. They started off absolutely massive with an aerial, didn't they? And then they went very small and then they had clamshell ones and then they then they started to get bigger again and now you've got things that are back to almost being the size of a brick again because it's like a holding a, a a tablet to your head it's some of them are so big and and so you can you can sort of try and guess because of the the type of phones that they use i think it's hilarious when they flip open a, a clamshell phone and then and you can see the screen and it looks so old-fashioned and yet at the time when that person was using it it would have been the latest thing to send a text wow you know so all these things are quite fun to, to as an extra sideline to just watching the film that led me to think well of course you could do the same thing with magic can't you you can perhaps um, pr uh, put something into a context and a time context according to various things that the magician, not just what the magician is wearing, but the, the tricks that he's actually doing. Because tricks have gone through phases. There was a time when all stage magicians did Fantasio, um, whether it's candles, appearing candles, canes, uh, and all that sort of thing. Um, you don't really see that very much now. Close-up magicians, at one time, they, everybody was doing coin matrix as, as a staple in their... Or cups and balls and, and and there are all sorts of things that um, have come in and out of fashion and sometimes it's quite fun to say look at the cards he's using there oh my goodness they're fox lake aviators i remember those which you you know you would probably wouldn't see anybody using these days in fact i did see a video of a, of a competition of a club competition uh, that i entered uh, and it was filmed and a couple of friends of mine were in it as well and we were watching it and it and it went back to the 1980s and not only the tricks but the way we looked and our patter and presentation was very 80s um and and it was and as a result it was actually quite funny to watch it nostalgic but quite funny so um I don't know whether you've ever tried this with either with films or with magic to try and work it out, but it is quite fun to do. And then if I'm doing if i doing it with a film, of course, at the end of the film, then I will see how close I got. And it's amazing just taking one or two things like a mobile phone or the hair or the clothing, how close you can get to the, the correct time that it was made. So I'd like to finish this podcast by passing on a couple of things to you that uh, I personally found quite amusing. We have a magazine every week called The Week, which comes, guess what, once a week, just like Abra used to. And on a Friday or a Saturday morning, it plops in onto the doormat. And it's a magazine which collects together news from all over the world of all different types. And they extract it from newspapers, magazines and online sources. And it's really interesting because instead of having to wade through newspapers every single day, you can read the week and get it all sort of summarised and get different points of view put on a plate in front of you. So anyway, we really, my wife and I really enjoy reading it. And one of the little sections that I always turn to is called Wit and Wisdom, in which they quote whimsical funnies that um, have been quoted 
in somewhere in the media in the previous seven days. And there was one, and I tried to find the actual issue so I could tell you who'd, who'd said it, but unfortunately I think we must have thrown it out because it was a few weeks back. But um, one that tickled me at the time was somebody was quoted as saying, you know, there hasn't actually been a pandemic at all. It's just been middle-class people staying at home and working-class people bringing them things, which I thought was a very interesting way of looking at a pandemic. So that was quite interesting. The other thing was that, you know what it's like? You, you, we all, I'm sure, know somebody who we'd say, oh, he or she, they're so lazy. They never seem to, to make any effort to do anything. And, and in fact, there are certain individuals who seem to put a tremendous amount of effort into not doing things, finding reasons not to do things rather than just getting on with it. And um, my wife said to me, she said to me, you know, Mark, she said, do you think that somebody who puts so much effort into being lazy is by definition not actually lazy? And I thought about it. I thought, oh, actually, if you put that much effort into not doing something, maybe you aren't lazy. Anyway, that tickled us both. So I thought I'd pass that on as well. So there we are. That's another podcast done. Thank you so much for taking the trouble and the time to listen. I hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget, if there's ever anything that you want me to talk about uh, or to cover in some way, then please do email me magic at markleverage.co.uk or go to my website and fill in the little contact us box and send me a message. Um, I'm very happy to talk about things that, that you would like me to talk about. But failing that, I will be back next month with my own selection of, of uh, topics and hopefully you will be here too. Have a good month. Bye for now.